Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Just a quick note before we get into today's episode, we will be covering in this story subject matter that some people may find distressing. It does involve the discussion of a deceased child. So, listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. Now, if this is your very first time checking out OMR, welcome and thank you very much indeed. We have almost 50 episodes and seven other fascinating cases available for you to binge right now. Today, however, is part one of the story of Saul Contreras a man convicted of a crime he says he didn't commit, a crime that involves the death of a child. Before we get into this case, there are a few things we need to discuss. So over the past eight months since I launched this show, I've been lucky enough to be invited onto other shows to talk about One Minute Remaining podcasts, radio and TV interviews. And one question I've got on many occasions is, are there any cases we wouldn't discuss? In these interviews, I've occasionally stated that crimes that have involved a child being the victim, I would likely avoid. Why? The simplest answer to that is because I'm a father of two small children. And I felt I just don't think I could personally separate being a father with hearing about a small child being harmed. The true crime genre, as we know, is a fascination to millions of people around the world. Macabre as it may be, a large portion of the population, myself included, finds this world fascinating. We like to try and play detective, piece together what might have happened, and if someone may be innocent or guilty. However, I personally believe when you bring the innocence of a child into that, this for me at least, takes the fascination away. It then becomes so much more incredibly real and upsetting, especially as I said now that I'm a father and I connect these to my own children. However, when I saw this story, I had to stop and think. I've said from the start of this project that I'm not here to play judge, jury and executioner. I'm not here to judge these men and women. I'm here to allow them the opportunity to give their version of events. Of course, this isn't to say that there won't be stories that pop up that I may choose to pass on. The case of Saul Contreras is also a first for one minute remaining for a number of reasons. All of the men and women I've spoken to so far have either had no legal representation and have been fighting their cases alone, 
or they have some form of general counsel. What makes this case different is that Saul's case has been taken on by Proclaim Justice. My name is Jane Shaw Lewis. Uh, I am a volunteer attorney with Proclaim Justice. Um, I have been working with them for just about three years. I started in the beginning of COVID. In the United States, there are many organisations that will take on cases, pro bono, which means for free, of those who say they are innocent. The Innocence Project being the most globally recognisable of these, but each state across the US has multiple organisations who come to the aid of men and women who they believe to be wrongfully convicted. Across America, there is a number of organisations like Proclaim Justice who um, fight to help people who are uh, wrongfully convicted. Month after month, we're seeing more and more people having convictions overturned, 20 years, 30 years, 15 years, incredible sentences. Yes. But what the trouble is with all of these people, organisations can only do so much. So how does a, an organisation like Proclaim Justice, how do you choose who, who you can help? So the criteria that Proclaim Justice uses is those who are currently in prison with sentences of death or 20 plus years, uh, those who had absolutely no involvement in the crime for which they were convicted, both DNA and non-DNA cases. We do not assist self-defense, accidental death, or parties to crime cases or misdemeanors. That is their criteria, which they had that all in place before I became involved. So after chatting with Jane, reading about Saul's case, and of course, a bit of back and forth chatting via message with Saul, I decided that we would go ahead and tell his story. That's when I came across another issue. Uh, yeah, just uh, trying to get hold of the, um, the warden's secretary. It would appear that Texas is a state where me talking with incarcerated men and women is just not going to be possible. Even with my US number, I would also need a valid US driver's license in order to be able to get added to the institution's call list. So what now? Well, myself and Jane spitballed a few ideas, and this is where we have another first for one minute remaining. Now... I like to personally be able to interview, of course, the men and women on the show. It gives me an opportunity to build a rapport with them, as well as, of course, when I'm talking to them, getting a sense of who they are as people and being able to interject and ask questions as they come up. But with Saul, I obviously can't do this. So I had to make a decision. Do I now tell Saul that I can no longer tell his story? I personally felt this would be unfair for me to do that, Men and women like Saul who are incarcerated hold on to any type of hope and opportunity to get their side of events heard, to explain what had happened. For me to now turn around and say, sorry, I can't help you anymore, would, in my opinion, have been cruel. So, Saul's attorney from Proclaimed Justice, Jane, stepped in and offered to take my questions to him and act as a go-between. So outside of Proclaimed Justice, are you still a practicing law? Uh, I am I am retired. I'm turning 70 next week, but I keep my license current because I didn't get it till I was 40. Wow. So I I thought maybe it was going to be a uh, little hobby and take my time. And, Most people do um, painting for for a hobby or, or crochet. <laughs> you you decided to become an attorney. I know. <laughs> I know. It was crazy. I had never aspired to it. Wasn't related to one. 
just kind of backed into it. I wasn't sure if this would work, but I was willing to give it a try. So, this is the story of Saul Contreras. I don't know about you, but when I think Texas, I immediately picture the stereotypical Wild West. People walking around with cowboy hats, driving big trucks with a six-shooter on their hip. However, the city in which this story is set is that of El Paso, the sixth largest city in Texas, and it has a population that is 81% Hispanic, sitting smack bang on the US-Mexican border. The city has a rich history that's deeply intertwined with its Mexican heritage, with many residents speaking Spanish as their primary language, and is constantly ranked as one of the safest large cities in the United States. It's this city that would later become home to a young man from Mexico. Saul was born in Juarez, Mexico on June 16th of 1973. He would emigrate to the US with his mother and younger brother when he was just four years old. I was born in Juarez, Mexico, um, had big family, very close-knit, uh, was a loving home. It was, uh, everybody cared about each other, everybody helped each other out. I mean, we, we were very close. We still are very close. Um, unfortunately, my parents, you know, separated um, while I was still young. And uh, my mom, my little brother Victor, and I ended up moving to uh, L.A., Los Angeles, California, um, where I grew up. Settling in Los Angeles because his mother had family there, Saul would begin school and quickly made friends there and in the neighbourhood. That's where I went to school. He went to elementary there, uh, junior high school and high school, and uh, it was great. I mean, my sister uh, Lupita was over there as well. Uh, She was older. And uh, one of the fondest memories I had when I was growing up is my my brother-in-law, Robert, who was my, my sister's boyfriend at the time. He used to take me and my little brother and his bike to school and pick us up after school every day. And that was our, our highlight. That was the highlight of the day. We used to ride in his bike. One would ride uh, in the back and the other one would ride in the front. <laughs> we had some good memories about that. Saul was one of the youngest from a large family of seven children, five boys and two girls. Here's Saul's sister, Lupe, on her younger brother. He was wonderful. He was always a really calm child, very happy, um, always trying to help everybody, always. You ask him for a favor, he never says no. Um, he was always taking care of everybody as, as a brother, you know. When he grew up, he was always on our side. When we ask him for an advice, he was always there, always, till now. We still ask him, when I write to him, I ask him for an advice, and everybody, the nephews, the nieces, everybody ask him for advice, and because he's always been there for everybody. While living in Los Angeles, Saul began to miss his father and older siblings, so he would return to his home of Juarez when he was just eight years old. And after spending two years back in Juarez, he returned yet again to Los Angeles. The next few years of school for him was a happy time. He had many close friends, 
his family around him. He played football and soccer throughout high school and excelled academically. He graduated in the top 5% of his class and even graduated a semester early because he was ready to go to college. He would begin his studies at the College of California, but his brother Victor had moved to El Paso, Texas, so he transferred to the university there, where he would study engineering and psychology. It's here that Saul would meet his wife, Claudia. I actually met her at work. Uh, we were working, both working at a, at a Walmart. I was one of the assistant supervisors there, one of the assistant managers, and she was working for one of the departments there. And uh, we just started talking, and I, I immediately felt an attraction for her. We felt a connection immediately, and it was, uh, we started dating, we started going out, and, and, and it, was, it was beautiful. Claudia already had young children of her own from a previous partner. However, Saul says he hit it off with them instantly. It was probably about, maybe we had gone out maybe about four times. And uh, I remember I met Lupita first, which is my oldest, or her oldest actually. Uh, And I remember we took her to a carnival. And Claudia did not want to get on any of the rides. So uh, I got on all the rides with, with Lupita and she hugged me, she held me, and she had fun, and we had a blast that day, and she, and she became very close to me. We had a beautiful connection immediately. He and Claudia were together for a couple of years, and then would marry, all moving in together, Saul taking on Claudia's children as his own. It was great. It was great. Uh, both Lupita and Javier were, were excellent kids. I mean... I, I absolutely adore them. I, I, you know, they, they are technically my stepchildren, but to me, they are my children. I mean, I, I am their dad, and they still, to this day, they call me dad. So it's, uh, it was a beautiful connection, like I said, from the beginning. And, and we've, it was, it was a close family. We were always happy. Um, you know, when the kids had any events at school, we made sure that we both attended. We were always there for them, always taking care of them, always encouraging them to do better and um, always rewarded them when they did good in school and, and took them places. You know, I loved taking them to the zoo, the circus when I was in town, you know, to the ice capades and just everywhere. And not just them, but also my, my nieces and nephews as well. They, they, we were like the favourite uncle and aunt, and aunt, you know, we took them everywhere. Here's Saul's sister again on her brother and his new family life. He was a wonderful stepdad. He didn't really like that word, you know, stepdad, because he always sees the kids like his own kids. He adored those kids, Javier and Lupita. And um, from what I saw, he was a wonderful husband too. Yeah, they, they were a normal couple. Saul's brother Victor and Claudia's sister Susanna were also in a relationship at this time and had five children of their own. However, from all accounts, this relationship was rather tumultuous and the pair would separate on a few occasions. At one stage, Claudia's sister and her children come to live with Saul and Claudia. Well, you know, we, we always try to help out no matter what, especially for, for the children's sake. Um, and so we knew that, you know, because her and Victor had separated, my brother Victor, that she needed help. So we asked her to come stay with us and uh, she, had, she had moved in and she would go to work and come back and we would try to help out as much as we could with the, with the kids. In fact, most of the time the kids were with us. And how many kids did she have? She had, uh, let me see, it was Delilah, Jasmine, 
Junior, Marie, and Leslie. So. so she and her five kids moved in with you? Right. And your family. Did it seem pretty crowded? And actually, you know, it really didn't. Uh, and the reason it didn't is because, I mean, I spent most of the time playing with the kids. You know, when I would come back from work, I would go take them to the backyard, take them to the park. Mm-hmm. And it would be just uh, us playing with them, you know, and, uh, you know, taking care of them. Um, most of the time, like I said, I spent most of the time with them running around in the backyard, you know, playing ball with them and, and just, you know, caring for them. So it really didn't seem crowded, you know. It just seemed like society, like I spent most of the time inside, you know, doing whatever they were doing. And, uh, you know, most of the time there was the kids and I in the back backyard, you know, playing around. So. Yeah. And you, it sounds like you enjoyed it. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It was a blast. I mean, I, I love kids to begin with, you know, that, mm-hmm. that's, you know. And I love taking care of them, I love making them laugh. I love, you know, just teaching them things. And um, that's, that's what I that's what I did with them, you know, with, with not just them, not just Susana's kids, but all my nieces and nephews, as well as my kids, of course. So life for Saul and his family, it's fair to say, sounds a little bit hectic, but by all accounts, he loved it. Until one day in November of 2003, his life and the lives of his family would change forever. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Do you remember the first time you heard about Saul's case? Yes, I do. Um, when I contacted them about volunteering and they said they had a couple of cases that they hadn't been able to get to. And they described um, a couple. And Saul had been identified by Daniel Viegas, who proclaimed justice had gotten out of prison. I think it's been seven or eight years. Some quick context as to who Daniel Viegas is. In 1993, in El Paso, Texas, two teens 
were gunned down after someone in a car fired multiple shots at them. Two of the survivors that were there that night were unable to identify the car or how many occupants were in it. Daniel, who was reportedly nowhere near the crime when it happened, was eventually arrested after his 17-year-old cousin was initially accused of the crime. Allegedly, the detectives threatened him with life in prison where he would be raped. Daniel's cousin would tell detectives that Daniel had joked that he was the one that shot the two victims with a shotgun, even though it was known that the victims had been killed with a 22 calibre weapon. The detectives then allegedly forced Daniel's cousin to write a statement implicating him in the murder. The initial statement said Daniel used a shotgun. However, detectives allegedly then forced Daniel's cousin to sign a new statement where the type of weapon had been removed. The detectives then would allegedly go around interrogating and threatening more youngsters from the area to write their own statements against Daniel. Daniel would go to trial, not once, but twice. The first trial ending in a hung jury, but in his second he would be found guilty and sent to prison. He would serve 23 years, 6 months and 11 days incarcerated, until being granted a third trial. And in October of 2018, a live broadcast of the verdict would play out in people's living rooms across El Paso. The court has brought the jury back into the courtroom, having received a message that they've reached a verdict. Madam Presiding Juror, have you in fact reached a verdict? Could you please hand the charge and the verdict form to the bailiff? In the District Court of El Paso County, Texas, 409th Judicial District, the State of Texas versus Daniel Villegas, number 940D09328. Verdict form B. We, the jury, find the defendant, Daniel Villegas, not guilty of... So something drew me to the case, but I really, you know, can't tell you exactly what, but I said, I want the one with the baby. Which is, which is interesting because, um, you know, with all the full disclosure, when I started this project, I was asked many, many times, you know, is there any stories that you would avoid or you wouldn't cover? And my instant go-to was anything involving a child as a victim. And I feel like, because it is the innocence of a child. So for you to sort of be drawn to a case where it's a man, again, you know, and again, try not to be stereotypical, but when you think man, a baby being killed, you know, instantly people go, you know, I don't know, they they don't go, well, he definitely did it, but there's kind of that sort of thing in the back of your mind going, it's a tricky one. I agree. I agree. And twice, twice he went through the cases and twice I was drawn to it. Let's just... Walk me through the whole day. Start me in the morning, and let's just walk through the day. Okay, so this uh, November 28th, uh, that particular year, was um, the day after Thanksgiving. Okay. It was the day after Thanksgiving. Um, and uh, Claudia and Susanna had made plans to go to Walmart and go to the stores and do the 
Black Friday shopping early in the morning. And so the plan was for me to stay with the kids and, and take care of them while they went to do that. They left early in the morning. They left uh, possibly about maybe 3.30 in the morning. Wow. Uh, to, go, to go shopping, yes. Mm-hmm. Most of the stores opened up at 4 in the morning at that time. They left, uh, and I stayed, I stayed home with the kids. I heard the little footsteps upstairs, you know, around maybe 6.30 in the morning. Um, so I got up and uh, went to go check on them. And, yeah, sure enough, they were all awake and, and playing a little bit. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and start breakfast. So you guys go ahead and wash up. Um, which they did, and I went downstairs, started breakfast, uh, started making some eggs and some bacon and different things for the kids. Maybe about 30 minutes later, they all came downstairs, and we we sat at the table, and we ate. We had breakfast. Uh, After that, I went back upstairs. Uh, The kids went back upstairs to watch cartoons. Um, So I went up there and checked on them, and at that time, uh, Jasmine had uh, sold her, her diaper, and so... When I tried changing her, uh, she had, I mean, diarrhea all over the place. She had a, an excessive amount of, of, of feces. I mean, over the diaper, on her stomach, to her legs, uh, which was very, very unusual, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did change her, washed her up, changed her a little bit, and uh, she continued, you know, the day, but I could tell something was wrong that morning. I could tell that she wasn't herself because normally she would be running around and laughing and jumping. This particular day, she was she was a little um, slower than usual. She was not not as active and not as happy as she normally would be. So when Susana came back and, and Claudia, I explained that to her. I said, "Look, I changed her diaper, and she was just like sold all over all over the place." Now, anyone with small kids or who has anything to do with small kids. Well, no, they get sick. A lot. It's not unusual to have a child like Jasmine get some diarrhoea and not acting themselves. So Saul tells Susanna and the day continues as they prepare for a celebration in the house. It was also uh, Junior's birthday that morning, that day. And so we were planning on going to uh, Chuck E. Cheese uh, pizza place later on that day. Um, to take the kids and celebrate his birthday. But um, I remember uh, Jasmine that day. I remember very clearly that every time Susana tried to pick her up or try to go near her, she would kind of start crying, get fussy, and she would run towards either Claudia or myself. You know, and so we would pick her up and she would be fine. She would go to my, my, my daughter, Lupita. She would go to her and she would pick her up and, and she would be fine. Uh, but every time Cloud, Susana would call her, she would kind of like, didn't, did not want to go near her. And when she did, when Susana would pick her up, she would start crying. I noticed something was wrong, but I, you know, again, it, it, it didn't seem like anything big. But again, she was not herself. So I told uh, Susana that if she would, she didn't make the, the doctor's appointment, that I would. Um, and from what I understand, she had picked up the phone and she, she, she might have done it. I'm not sure if she did or not. But, um, yeah, I could tell something was wrong. I could tell she wasn't herself that morning. Um, of course, never in a million years would I have guessed that something was, like, really, really wrong with her, you know. The day again continues, 
and signs that Jasmine just wasn't herself when they all sat down for something to eat. So um, later on that day, uh, Susanna and Clyde went to McDonald's and brought McDonald's for everybody. And uh, they were all gathering around the, the table eating and, and Jasmine um, barely touched her food. She had gotten some chicken nuggets and she had barely touched her food. She didn't even eat her little fries, which she loved. And then she fell asleep on top of her food. She laid her head and just fell asleep on top of her food. And normally, you know, for kids to eat and, and fall asleep is one thing, but she had not even touched her food. I mean, she it, it, it was strange. Like I said, it, was, it, was, she, it wasn't herself. It wasn't like, like, like she normally would be. Um, but then I remember Susanna picking her up and she took her upstairs and put her in her bed upstairs. By that time, uh, Delilah had fallen asleep as well. And so they started getting the kids ready to go to, to Chuck E. Cheese. But Delilah, who was uh, about six months old at the time, uh, was, was totally asleep. And, and then she said, well, you know, we're going to have to wake her up and take all the kids, wake up Jasmine, wake her up and take them to Chuck E. Cheese. And at that time, I said, well, you know what? I, I'm kind of tired, so I'll just stay in here and I'll, I'll watch Delilah and, and Jasmine because it was kind of cold outside. and I just didn't want to risk getting the kids sick out there, you know, waking them up and being cold and everything. So I told her I would take care of, of Delilah and, and Jasmine. So at that time, she asked uh, my daughter Lupita to bring her downstairs, which Lupita did. And, you know, I didn't think it was right because <laughs> Lupita was maybe about, you know, eight years old at the time. So to have an eight-year-old go upstairs and bring a little baby downstairs to an 18-month-old baby, downstairs you know this didn't seem safe so but Lupita did she brought her put her on the couch and Jasmine fell right back asleep on the couch which was also unusual because once she woke up she would be moving around but this time she just fell right back asleep and so Delilah was was uh laid laying down in her little uh, little baby seat I guess little car seat so she left her in the living room um asleep and so I stayed out there watching them but they were both completely asleep, so our bedroom was right next door to the living rooms, which, you know, we always left the door open. And so I started watching a basketball game after they left to go eat. Um, I started watching a basketball game, but I would get up and check on them. And once I saw that they were fine, I would go back inside and continue watching the basketball game. Later on that, that, that evening, I heard a, a, a thump, you know, like something hitting the floor. And so I walked out there and I saw Jasmine on the floor, she was, she began to cry. And so I picked her up. I checked her head, I checked her face uh, for any bumps or anything. I did not feel any, any, any bumps. I did not see any bruises. I did not see anything. Um, so I picked her up and I took her to, to the bedroom. And once I calmed her down, you know, I, I carried her and calmed her down. Once I calmed her down, then I saw that, you know, she was fine. I laid her on my chest. I rocked her back and forth until she, she fell back asleep. When she fell asleep, I laid her next to me for a little bit. I checked on Delilah again, and then I took them both upstairs, both to the bedroom, laid them down, and I kept going up there and checking on them. Came back downstairs, kept watching the game. Uh, maybe about an hour later, if that, that's when uh, uh, Susana and Claudia and the kids came, came home.
little did anyone know at that moment. Poor little Jasmine had stopped breathing. You have one minute remaining. And that's where we'll leave it for today. But coming up in our next episode, as emergency services race to the house, Saul frantically works to revive his niece. But sadly, she's unable to be saved. I kept checking, I kept checking, and no pulse, no reaction. Um, pretty much she was, she was gone by then. She was gone. Next time on One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mash Pumpkin production. Hosted and produced by Jack Lawrence. Editing and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans. This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.